Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Despite a bevy of injuries to their wings, um, they maybe appear on the verge of getting at least one of those key wings back. And Max Christie has taken real strides here um, in his filling in for some of the aforementioned injured wings. So everything seems like things are going pretty good, right? Like there's nothing really to complain about here, right? Right? Wrong. I'm kidding. I no, I'm 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 joking. Things are good. I I swear. Things are fine. So over the Thanksgiving break, uh, which I enjoyed, hope everybody did as well. The Lakers uh, split their games, right? They lost to the uh, Dallas Mavericks 104 to 101 and then beat the Cleveland Cavaliers um, in Cleveland 121 to 115. Both games took on kind of similar identities, right? They, they, it was kind of through close throughout. Uh, Lakers threw punches, got hit back, you know, and stuff. And it was close down the stretch of both of those games. And you know, in, in the case of the Cavs game, the Lakers got enough stops. In the case of the Mavericks game, uh, or game, the offense kind of stalled out. But for somewhat like similar reasons, I, and you know, this is where this is where the uh, Lakers' approach to the season helps and hurts, right? Because essentially, what the Lakers are trying to do, um, almost night in, night out at least when they have like a decent rotation, uh, they are essentially like trying to rely on, on D'Angelo Russell. They're trying to rely on Austin Reeves. They're trying to rely on kind of production from, from everywhere else. And uh, during that time, hope that LeBron can kind of rest while he's playing and then be as fresh as possible for the closing of the game and and try to take over games that way and you know in in even the Dallas game right he scored 15 points as the Lakers uh 
roar back from 20 down in the fourth quarter. And, you know, Phil Jackson used to say this all the time, where if you're trying to fight your way back into a game, a lot of times that that fight can take up so much of your energy that you can't quite get over the hump. And in the Lakers case, they were able to take a lead, but you, know, you could just kind of tell, especially with LeBron, that he didn't quite have the legs to like close out the game, you know? And, and I think, uh, you know, that's, this is going to be something that the Lakers are going to try to work on. And, uh, that being the, the balance, even when LeBron takes over of, yeah, you are obviously going to rely on him, but you don't want him to throw haymaker after haymaker after haymaker, especially this early in the season. And some of that is obviously unavoidable because the Lakers are missing so many guys, especially at LeBron's position. So like some of this is just kind of the way the game is going to go. But those pull-up threes that we keep seeing him shoot, shot them against Dallas. Dallas In that Dallas game, LeBron took quite possibly one of the dumbest shots of his career. Played brilliantly in the minutes before then. Um, but he took that, you know, he got the switch that he wanted. He got Kyrie Irving out into space. That's a spot that normally he would attack and go right at Kyrie and put him in the basket. Instead, he takes a pull-up three-pointer with 10, 15 seconds to go in the shot clock. And, you know, that's just a brutal mistake. And then the next play, he throws a pass to AD that, um, actually, he connected on in the Cavs game, uh, but he throws that pass to AD that gets uh, stolen in part because apparently Dallas had a player. I think Rashawn Holmes was in the key for too long. He was he played illegal defense, right? He, uh, um, in the last two minute report, the NBA said that Rash Rashawn Holmes should have been called for defensive three in the key there. He winds up intercepting that pass. Dallas goes down. Austin Reeves over rotates, leaves Kyrie Irving wide open. Kyrie hits the shot, and the game is essentially over from there. And uh, you know that that kind of bang, bang, bang of 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 mistakes, right? They wind up costing the Lakers. And I think part of it is that LeBron in that fourth quarter worked too hard and wasn't able to fully, you know, finish the job in, in the way that he would have liked. Obviously, we would have liked. And then in the Cavs game, I thought we saw a couple of those same shots. And, and this is something that he does. I think he likes the idea of being kind of the, the final nail in the other team's coffin in those games, especially in Cleveland, right? But he takes, you know, I, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with him wanting to close out teams. It's just that doing so from deep when you're as physically imposing as LeBron is feels like letting the other team's defense off the hook. And, you know, in that Cavs game, he shoots that, he shoots that, you know, sidestep three pointer made even more difficult because he's sidestepping to his right, which means that when he sidesteps off of his left foot and winds up shooting a three pointer, as he is shooting that three pointer, he is squaring his shoulders back up to, have to get a clean look on that shot like it you look at most shooters their step back shots always look the purest when they are going to their opposite hand right because when you're dribbling to your opposite hand 
and you step back off of your strong foot, right? If you're right handed, your strong foot is your right foot. You step back off of your, your, your right foot and your shoulders are already aligned with the basket. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Right, if I'm left-handed, I am left-handed, right? So if I'm dribbling to my right, and I plant that left foot and I pull back, my shoulders are already ready to go. And yes, the ball is technically uh, closer to the defender when I take that shot than it would be if I was going to my left. But there is so much less motion there that it makes that shot actually quite a bit easier. And the shot that he took against Cleveland was just such a difficult shot. And on that play, no ball movement. He dribbles the ball basically for... 18 seconds shoots it with, you know, seven seconds or so to go on the shot clock or five seconds to go on the shot clock. And, and fortunately, uh, Max Christie does a great job on Donovan Mitchell. And we'll talk about Max here in a second, but Max does a great job on Donovan Mitchell forces him into an also difficult mid range shot that hits back iron Lakers grab the rebound. And essentially the game is over from there. Um, the point I, and, 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 I want to be clear. I LeBron has been the Lakers' best player this year, uh, night in, night out. So I'm I'm really not complaining in the macro sense. I just think one of the things that the Lakers are going to have to continue to work on is even when LeBron utilizes the energy that he has kind of stored up over the course of a game where the other guys are kind of doing the creation and the finishing um, around him, in that fourth quarter, the Lakers are still going to have to, I think, stick with some of a, a somewhat similar game plan for the first few minutes of the fourth so that by the time LeBron gets to the last couple possessions of the game, he isn't so exhausted that he feels the need to take that shot. And, you know, the thing with LeBron, and, and, and this is the case with basically any great scorer, and obviously LeBron is statistically the greatest scorer in the, the NBA has ever seen, but great scorers, essentially they, they judge everything by how clean a look that they can get themselves. And, and for LeBron, when he's guarded by Kyrie and he raises up he's not going to see Kyrie at all. And he's thinking that's a good shot because he can't see his defender there. Um, no matter how difficult it might be is so long as he is in and his shooting elbow is free and he has a decent angle on the basket. He is saying to himself, yeah, that's a fine shot. I did my job. I 
created the space necessary to give myself a clean look. And I trust myself to be able to knock that shot down. Um, and, you know, the, the, the problem and, and kind of the error in that thinking there is, yeah, you, you technically created the space necessary, but that shot was more difficult than other options that you could have taken or other plays that you could have made for others. And, and you know, the last kind of note here is hilariously in like the week or two prior, he snapped back at his, you know, uh, critics who wanted him instead of passing the ball to Cam Reddish um, to force a shot up at the rim. And, and again, this is, I think LeBron's brain working in the way that it does where he sees a defender in front of him and he, because he sees that and because he feels that defender in front of him, his brain being as like high level as it is, thinks, well, this isn't a good shot. I feel a defender here. I got to get the ball out to the corner there. And it winds up being a good shot, a good open shot for Cam Reddish. One that, by the way, Reddish made only a few games later. And, you know, those critics might be thinking to themselves when he shoots that shot on the wing, ha, we got to him. He took the shot. And in reality, I think actually what's going on there is, again, he sees his ability to get that shot and create that space for himself where he isn't feeling that defender. And he feels like that is still a good shot and a better shot than it would have been if he tried to force something at the rim through a congested key. Um, and, and so like you wind up like everybody winds up being kind of wrong there, right? Uh, the critics wind up being wrong because yeah, objectively speaking, kicking the ball out to a shooter in the corner is probably better than trying to go up over to, especially in the case of Miami, good defenders. And, um, the critics wind up being wrong or, or LeBron winds up being wrong when he shoots shots like he does against Dallas and, and, and Cleveland, because, well, he could find himself a better look, even it is, even if it is slightly more contested than the one he want, he, he took in those two games. And I'm really curious if, if we reach a point this year, because this is, this has been a trend now basically for the entirety of LeBron's time as a Laker where, you know, for him, he sees that like final haymaker or that that final dagger that he can stick into the uh, opposing team's heart. He he thinks that the best version of that shot winds up being that three for whatever weird reason. Um, and and the more that he misses it, I think the more that his kind of high level processor brain is going to realize ah, I could probably get a better shot than this, or I could try to get to the free throw line, or I could try to create something for somebody else. Um, all of those options are better than the standstill. Nobody moves on offense, hold the ball for 18 seconds, step to the strong side three pointer that he tried to take against the Cavs. that fortunately he got bailed out on because Max played that good defense against Donovan Mitchell. Um, and, and we are able to look at the weekend as a split and, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of, we'll see and we can kind of hope that he moves on from that approach. All that said, I think the story of the weekend winds up kind of sort of being Max Christie because the Lakers really need a perimeter defender for 
like the the Donovan Mitchells, the Steph Curry's, the um, you know, all of those kind of small shifty guards. The Aaron Fox also has given the Lakers problems this year. He's given everybody problems, but especially the Lakers. The Lakers could really use a defender or another defender or a defender who is more likely to stay on the court than, say, Jared Vanderbilt or even than, say, Cam Reddish. Um, it's nice to be that that Darvin Ham can kind of go to any of those three or some combination of those three guys when the Lakers really need stops down the uh, down, down stretches of games, kind of like running the running, you know, running the football when your team is ahead. Ravens, just a heads up, you're allowed to do that. Um, but but I I I I do think that Max Christie showing what he showed. When he, you know, in one game, he's asked to guard Kyrie Irving. I thought did that quite well. The next game he starts, he has to go up against Donovan Mitchell. And again, I thought acquitted himself quite well. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. And, and you know, that's the kind of thing that Darvin Ham is going to notice, and it's the exact kind of thing that has gotten Cam Reddish more minutes. It's the exact kind of thing, by the way, that might cost Torian Prince some minutes. It's the exact reason why Jared Vanderbilt, whenever he comes back, is almost essentially promised a role in the rotation is because those three guys offer perimeter defense that Austin, D'Lo, basically Austin and D'Lo, and maybe if we ever see Gabe Vincent, like those guys, when they are on the court, and especially the first two, uh, you know, in Reeves and, and, and D'Angelo Russell, those guys need perimeter defensive presences to kind of make up for what those guys take off of the table on that end of the court. And, uh, you know, it, I don't foresee a situation where, like, you know, Max and uh, Vanderbilt and Reddish are on the court all at the same time. But... I could 100% see situations where two of those three guys are out there, right? It's D'Lo, it's Max, and it's Vando. It's D'Lo, it's Reddish, and it's Vando. It's D'Lo, and it's Max, and it's Eric Reeves, and um, and Max, and Cam, you know, or, or Vando and Cam. Um, because, you know, what, what the Lakers can't afford to have is so much leakage on the perimeter that puts AD in situations where you always have to be worried about foul trouble. You have to worry about the precarious positions that he puts his body in to contest at the rim against small guys who are getting like straight line drives to the basket. It forces, you know, tougher passes out of pick and rolls when you have better defenders who are better at uh, applying back pressure um, after they get they get screened, you watch Torian Prince get screened, and and like you almost start playing taps when he when he um, gets screened, right? It's like that guy just he just can't move right now, and now all of a sudden the Lakers are playing four on five defense, 
and God knows when Torian Prince might be able to get back into the, into the picture. So um, yeah, I think that that game from Max Christie, given how deep the Lakers are at wing was so huge because it gives like now the Lakers have some data that, yeah, what, what they saw last year from him defensively appears to be at least somewhat real. And then now you watch him be able to repeat or improve on some of those things. Obviously you would like to see him uh, continue the trend. I thought he shot pretty damn well against Cleveland, obviously significantly better than he has shot to this point in the season so far uh, with that being a low bar and all. Um, but yeah, if, if, if uh, you know, Torian Prince really has to be kind of careful here and, and I don't necessarily know that he can adjust in the ways that I think Darvin Ham would like him to adjust. He isn't really rebounding. He is somewhat still pretty soft defensively. I just talked about his inability to deal with screens and stuff like that. Um, it, with Max showing this and with Prince struggling to shoot in the way that he has, Darvin, I think, and, and the coaching staff at some point are just going to say, well, we're going to go with the guys who give us something because far too often now when Prince isn't knocking down shots and he basically hasn't knocked down shots all season, um, he isn't giving you anything. And and I think, you know, the Lakers are probably going to start erring on, on, the, on the side of, well, we got to get somebody in there who gives us something. Uh, looking ahead here to uh, the week ahead, the Lakers are again um, in action tonight. By the time you guys are listening to this, um, the Lakers play in Philadelphia against a good Philly team. Hopefully the Lakers are able to get, you know, at least one of their wing defenders back, especially, you know, Cam or, you know, or or Max is going to continue to get tested because Tyrese Maxey has played incredible basketball to start the season. And, you know, it's interesting watching uh, or getting ready to, to, to watch the Lakers play against Philly. Both teams tried the three-star method. were bitten in the ass by the three-star method adjusted from the three-star method to a two-star in depth, you know, method of, of building the roster. And both are significantly better off as a result of that. Right. It is it, like, if I would have told you, last year that the Lakers would, you know, give heading into the season that the Lakers would lose like two starting caliber players, uh, another, you know, legit wing type player. And, and they would still be sitting at 10 and seven, 17 games into the season. You would say like, it was impossible, right? With, with Russell Westbrook on the team and with so much cap devoted to those three guys and him, LeBron, and AD, it was just impossible to build out a roster that had any margin for error whatsoever. In this case, though, the Lakers do have some margin for error here and have taken advantage of that margin for error to the tune of a very solid 10-7 and seven run. They have now a couple wins, like legit wins under their belt. They have been competitive in just about every game that they played even decently in. And, and you know, as they start to get guys back, hopefully soon really appear poised to make a bit of a run here as the schedule lightens up a little bit. And again, as the Lakers start to get a little healthier, um, but this is going to be an interesting game. And I, I just cannot 
help but notice the backdrop of this game um, being something that the NBA, I would imagine, has taking note, taken note of here and will take note of moving forward where, you know, you look at, um, like I said, the, the Lakers and Philly and where they currently stand. And and yeah, it's a it's a couple teams that, you know, are going to continue to build through depth and and have done so successfully. Right. The Lakers sit at 10 and seven. I think Philly sits at nine and six. And you look at the standings here in the Lakers own division. Um, and, and, you know, some of those more star heavy teams, um, the Clippers come to mind, uh, the, the, even the Warriors kind of come to mind. Um, those teams are, are kind of struggling where the teams that have some decent depth, the Phoenix, the Suns are being, been able to withstand um, their injuries because, Devin Booker winds up being just that good. And, and Kevin Durant winds up being just that good. And Eric Gordon is not a veteran minimum player typically. And, and he has played really well for them, but the warriors have really struggled this year. They're eight and nine. The Clippers are seven and eight. And, and that like star heavy roster construction, I do kind of think, you know, really takes away margin for error. And, in the Warriors case, you have Clay Thompson looking a little washed, right? You have Draymond Green getting suspended, and and that hasn't looked great. Steph has missed some time, and that's always going to screw with them. But especially when they don't have the depth to, to, to make things work while he's gone. And then the Clippers have been basically a mess, either while they waited to make the James Harden trade or after they made the James Harden trade. Um, they've gotten a little bit better uh, since, but they're still four and six in their last 10 and they've only won like their, their most recent game. They aren't, they aren't on some winning streak that would indicate that they figured anything out. So yeah, I, I do really like, uh, and, and I'm partial to this because it's always been, I think the, the type of roster that I have found, uh, most appealing and, and I guess, uh, the, the type of roster I am the most confident in, the Lakers having LeBron and AD and a whole bunch of like, you know, pretty good to good role players around them is a sustainable model. And I think here with uh, Philly, same kind of thing. Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey appears to be a star, a budding star. Those two guys, a bunch of depth around them seems to be a significantly more sustainable model than in prior iterations and, and most specifically the, the James Harden fiasco. So that'll be a fun game. I will be on playback tonight with the guys, uh, make an account over at playback.tv slash all access Lakers. Um, and, and, uh, then right after the game, I will be uh, live in the lounge, which, uh, that will, you can, you can subscribe to watch that show or those shows live at youtube.com slash at, Lakers Lounge is where you would find this. Hopefully you're already subscribed um, and and we can continue to build this thing out. Might have some news here um, on the show front that I look forward to be able to sharing with you as well. So keep an ear out for that. And until the next time you guys hear from me, I'm Anthony Irwin saying have a great rest of your day. Make somebody else's and I will talk to you shoot in a few hours for the game time for the game. For the game time. I don't know why I sound like boring. I'll see you soon.